Hello and welcome to Katie Piper's Extraordinary People, the podcast where we get to meet someone who has lived an extraordinary life and hear their story. My guest today is a BAFTA and Emmy award-winning presenter and vlogger with several CBBC shows and over 1 million YouTube subscribers under her belt. And she's only 16. Nikki Lilly is a true star in her own right, but what she's overcome makes her even more extraordinary. At six years old, Nikki displayed symptoms of what was later diagnosed as ulterior venous malformation. She's endured more than 70 operations to treat it, but she has turned it into a positive, setting up the Butterfly AVM charity to increase awareness and raise funds for research. There's a lot of achievements under Nikki's belt, especially for someone who's only just taken their GCSEs. So I'm absolutely thrilled that Nikki joins me right now. Ah, Welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. It's quite amazing. Um, Reading out what you've done, because actually I know you and that isn't everything you've done. Um, And thinking that you are only 16 um, and it's not been a normal 16 years. It's been a very interrupted 16 years. Um, It's crazy to think that I'm 16. Like I genuinely forget how old I am because mm -hmm. I've just experienced so much and done so much. I genuinely just forget how old I am. And I think because I've also had to mature so quickly, I'm mm. like, oh, I'm still a teenager. Like it just doesn't, it doesn't, um, <laughs> I don't even think about it sometimes. Because part of me thinks, oh, it's so admirable in terms of professionally. You know, you have a career that some 40-year-olds are aspiring to and haven't even got there yet. So, you know, in that terms, we can learn a lot from you um, professionally. Mm. And you're very determined, you're very confident. Oh, but then, but, but part of me also feels some sadness of you seem so grown up. Like you're yeah. so mature in the way you speak, the way you act. Like what has it been like your childhood? I would totally agree with what you said. I think as much as I'm glad at where I am and my perspective of the world, because I think because I had to go through um, finding out that I had a condition when I was just kind of starting to grow up, really, when I was six years old. Um, I think I did have to grow up really quickly. And I'm glad that I've grown up because I do, um, you know, I do appreciate the little things more and um, I just look at the positives and things like that. I do wonder what my life would be like if I was just like a average um teenager and Mm. I never I do often feel like I just didn't have a childhood like it was just kind of taken away from me because I was this normal child and then at six years old things started to change I got my condition and then life just turned upside down like at the drop of a hat and so it was really hard to go from like being able to do everything, having no things setting me back to like the absolute opposite, not being able to do anything, being at home constantly. And I often find it hard and found it hard to relate to people my own age because mm-hmm. obviously everyone goes through struggles and um, hardship and things like that, um, no matter what age you are. But I was going through like constant hardship from six years old to literally current Um, present day and so I often would find it hard like just feeling able feeling like I could 
connect or get what people were saying you know I'd be there and be having conversations with people but it was never really something that I cared about you know I didn't Mm -hmm. care about this boy I didn't care about like this homework or because I was you know next week going to be having a massive operation so it's just like their things that they were going to most people my age and then my things were just too polar opposite I did wonder that because I felt like like you know other people not not that you're saying other people's problems aren't relative to them because you know I get what you're saying but it's almost irrelevant the things that might concern them and upset them and I wondered if you found people your own age uh, not not, it's not their fault but almost immature and and you relate more to perhaps adults and no exactly that um I Often, especially when I was a bit younger, felt like when I was around, surrounded by adults, I almost could have more of a conversation with them. Mm-hmm. Because when I was, you know, in hospital, you're just surrounded by adults. I have my parents, I have the doctors, I have the nurses, or when I'm at home, my friends are at school and getting on with what they're doing. And then if anyone comes to visit me, it's adults. So I was constantly surrounded with adults from a young age. So I do struggle with that a little bit and have definitely found that most of the time adults is where I feel like I can more just have a conversation and not feel like they're being immature or. Mm. Mm -hmm. For people listening that don't understand about AVMs and how ongoing it is. I mean, I I made a documentary years ago and there was a girl called Chantal in the the documentary and she had an AVM in her nose. Oh, wow. Yeah, because we filmed for like eight, nine months, I just saw in eight, nine months what somebody goes through with an AVM. And, you know, we'd have filming booked in, she'd have a bleed, she'd hemorrhage, we'd be out and stuff would happen. And the way people reacted and didn't understand, it's, it's, I think people think they know what it is. They think it's maybe a birthmark. Um, Could you explain it to people? Sure. So an AVM stands for arteriovenous malformation. And so you're basically always born with an AVM. It can't develop at a later age, um, but they're very rare. So you can get one in any part of your body. And mine's in the right side of my face and the top of my head. So you have arteries, capillaries and veins. And the capillaries are in between the arteries and veins. So one um, is high flow and one's low flow. And so the way I kind of explain it is that the capillaries are kind of like the middleman, like the balancer. Mm But because I don't have the capillaries where they need to be um, in the right side of my face, it causes the arteries and veins to collide. And so that causes high pressure and causes life-threatening bleeds, swelling, veins to appear. And um, usually when you're going through growing up and puberty and things like that, the AVM will grow with you. So it will be even more, um, it will grow at a more rapid rate as well. Um, so yeah, you can get it anywhere. It grows a bit like a tumor, but just in the same area and there's currently no cure. So it's more just kind of like, um, surgical treatment or, uh, like embolizations or things like that, just to keep it at bay. And one of the things you have done actually is is set up a charity to help with research, haven't you? Yeah, I have. So I set up the Butterfly AVM charity with my parents when I was nine years old. Because of course you did, because that's what all nine year olds do. do. (laughs) Because I, when I first was diagnosed, I was diagnosed when I was six, ten years ago, and there was literally nothing online about AVMs. It wasn't even like um, in the NHS, like A to Z of different 
conditions and things like that. So we literally knew nothing about it. You know, the mm-hmm. doctors, after I had my scan, said that I had this condition, but that's all we knew. We didn't know what to expect. We didn't know what happens when you have an AVM or anything. So it was so much uncertainty. And when you did look up AVMs, so much scary um, information yeah. came up. And so then it was even worse because we were kind of like, because a lot of things came up about, you know, like instant hemorrhages and then then leading to things like death almost. And so mm-hmm. it was so scary. And so we wanted to be this charity that um, not only would be able to raise um, funds for research into AVMs and mm-hmm. raise funds for research into a cure, we also wanted to be um, somewhere that um, AVM survivors and sufferers that either are newly diagnosed or have been diagnosed but need like a point of contact and someone that actually understands um, to go to, which has um, actual information that isn't scary and that's actually beneficial because that's exactly what we could have done with when I was first diagnosed because mm-hmm. my mum and dad were so scared when I was first diagnosed, like you know, they had no idea what to expect. And so we wanted to be that for other people and other families. Someone like you has achieved so much. So, so academically, you've, you know, you've done your GCSEs, you haven't like flunked school. Yeah. Profession- professionally, you're very ambitious and connected. Mm-hmm. You're, you're very successful. Thank you. And then you <laughs> well, you are, seriously. And then philanthropy, you know, you've gone and done your charity stuff and given back, which when you're busy, is, it's actually quite hard to, to tick all of those boxes. Yeah. So the way you've been parented and brought up, it must be with a certain like no self-pity and almost like pushing you out there saying... Go and be yourself. It's not like locking you away and cuddling you and cotton wool. No, you. yeah. I I really think that my mum and dad's perspective and how they just kind of picked up where they left off and got on with life after I was diagnosed really helped me because mm-hmm. they didn't try to change my uh, our life too much after I was diagnosed. They didn't... I really didn't understand what was going on when I was diagnosed with my condition because I was only six years old. Like the only thing I knew was like a cough or a cold. Like I had no Mm -hmm. idea of anything else. Um, But I really, really appreciated how my mum and dad didn't make it into some big thing. They were just like, you know, life is going to change, but we just need to carry on going the way we are going. And if life changes, then we'll just take each day as it comes. And I think it was Mm -hmm. that like live in the now and just appreciate all the little things in every day and Mm. just not like sitting there feeling sorry for yourself making the most of every day is where all of my you know beliefs and positive outlook of those things came from and so I think them being so much um them really talking about like determination with me and just you know making the most of every day despite what cards you're dealt with really helped spur me on to do the things that I'm doing now and to you know set up my channel and make the most of me having to stay at home all the time or me having my condition you know make the most of it by sharing my condition with other people and educating people so I do definitely think that their perspective and their outlook on um our whole situation as soon as I was diagnosed really spurred me on to further things Mm, it's almost quite practical isn't it like you said you know some things are out of your control yeah so you you let go of them and you concentrate on what is um and it's sort of quite honest and real it's not patronizing no not at all and I think the amount that a kid wants you know their voice to be heard but Mm -hmm. is you know doesn't know how to express themselves is you know 
the majority of uh, kids. And so the fact that I think they made me aware that, you know, we want to hear what you, we see you, we hear you, we want to hear what you think. Because Mm -hmm. after all, you know, obviously their lives changed in a different way to mine, but I was dealing with this totally, you know, this condition that I didn't even know what, what it was. And so they were, they put a lot of emphasis and focus on just um, listening to me and what I wanted to do and just taking every day as it comes according to me. You touched a lot there on awareness and I wondered um, how aware you were because although you people were always open and honest with you from the beginning yeah. and you were very much, you know, part of the medical journey, was there a certain age where you realised I'm different to people at school, life is different um, or was it gradual? And, and also how much do you remember of life pre-AVM? So when um, I was diagnosed, I genuinely thought I had like a cold or something and like, oh, you know, just had a checkup at the doctor's office, had some scans because I didn't even know what the scans were for at the time. You know, I had some MRI scans, some angiograms and I had no idea what they were for. Um, And so I just thought I literally had a bad cold because I had no idea. And I, there was one time where it didn't fully connect with me, but it was when I kind of thought that life was changing. And mm-hmm. it was when I my appearance began to change, but it, I wasn't fully kind of aware of it. And so it didn't really start affecting me. And I think it's also because I didn't really care about the way I looked. And, you know, you, then you get to a certain age where you start to care automatically. Um, but I was in... What age were you at this point then? So I was about nine at this point. And I was in my uh, bathroom just washing my face and um, I literally just uh, like wet a towel and just started like scrubbing at the right side of my face because I was like, no, this this has to come off. I literally convinced myself in my head that this wasn't real. Like I was just living in someone else's life. You know, this has to come off. This can't be my life now. This can't be the way I look now. And I just kept scrubbing like it was like, oh, it's face pain. It's not real. It's, you know, it's, it's, I was just, I kept telling myself, this isn't, this isn't real. And then the more I scrubbed and the less it came off, um, because it, you know, it was a part of me, the more I just came to the realization that no, this is real. This is Mm -hmm. your life now. And that's when I kind of like almost had a breakdown because I was like, right. So my life isn't, my life as I know it anymore mm-hmm. because I do have really dark days where I just wish I was an average you know no one's normal but I just wish I lived in the norm in the average way and looked mm. like an average teenager and so I do wish I still had that to look back on when I am having a bad day to just still feel like but Nikki you did go through that remember this you know mm-hmm. inside but I I don't remember it and I think that's what's really hard because the comparison is you don't live an average life in terms of your career. Either, yeah. Because I, I don't, I don't know any other 16 year olds doing what you do and you don't just do it tokenism. Because no, you've got a no, yeah. you, you know, you've got millions of subscribers. You are interesting and engaging. Um, you just won a junior British bake-off. Yeah. Right? yeah. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's interesting, like this society, this world is obsessed with beauty and perfection yeah. um, and what it means. 100%. And it's, it's, 
you know, it's like a cliche question to ask you what beauty means, but people believe you can't be successful and happy if you're not symmetrical or you're not perfect or Western standards. Yeah. But you but you are successful and you do attract people. You have got a positive five. People do want to hear you. People do seek you out and people do listen to you. So I, I wonder what it does mean for you because you've not had the choice and the options that other people have had, but you've found your own way. Yeah. Oh, that's lovely. Thank you. Um, I think society and especially social media has a big part to play in this as much as I love social media because it's really helped me has a massive part to play in painting this um, unrealistic airbrushed image and cookie cutter image of what boys and girls and just everyone should look like and I really hate that because it's this unattainable standard and every single person in the world, until they meet that standard, will never, ever feel content with themselves and will always find something as small as it may be to literally just like a tiny spot on their face will always find things to pick apart about themselves, which I really, really hate. And I think beauty to me is nothing at all to do with the outside. I've always seen it as well, with the outside, I think the fact if you embrace your flaws, to me, that is beautiful. But I think there has to be so much more emphasis on people and kindness and what you're like on the inside being the beautiful thing rather than judging people on the outside. And that being the only thing, the deciding factor of even whether you get to know a person. Mm-hmm. I wondered also as a young woman if you find it frustrating so like if I post a picture on Instagram whether it's no makeup or whether it's glamorous you know like filming whatever, yeah lots of people from a really well-meaning place will often comment you're still beautiful anyway or ah oh, bless you you look beautiful and I think what do you mean still beautiful anyway yeah or, or, or you know like why are you reducing me to this so if, if when I was burnt uh maybe I'd completely lost my nose would I not be a beautiful burn survivor anymore yes. like and and also if if I was a male burn survivor would you comment this like why and I know it's supposed to be a compliment yeah. to make me feel good but why am I still having to rely on beauty to feel good because exactly it's a conscious, exactly. and I know people aren't trying to troll me or anything, but you know, do you face this as a woman? Because I don't feel like it's a thing that men with visible difference necessarily face. I definitely think that there's more emphasis, especially on it uh, when you're a woman with a visible difference, because it's almost like people, although it's taken, it's usually from like you know a good place. People almost feel like they have to comment something like that when they see someone with a visible difference it's like I have to do this you know this is my this is me being kind you know and me Uh being a good person um I definitely get comments like that and especially I'll get things like um oh yeah exactly like that like you're still beautiful anyway but it's like anyway what like what it's quite damaging that yeah exactly and it's like they are just pointing out that you're different even more. Yeah. And I feel like that comment is adding to the currency of beauty saying, this is a valuable currency. This is so important. This is what we all have to strive for. And without it, we have no value. Exactly. That that is perpetuating that constant message. Exactly. And I've really struggled with constantly being, looks constantly being the thing that people look at and judge people on and I get it's kind of like all you see before you know a person and I get that that's kind of you know you judge people on their looks when you don't know them 
But I think I really struggle, especially with, this is like a different topic, but especially with like, you know, I'm a teenager now and people are getting boyfriends and people mm-hmm. are getting girlfriends and, you know, getting into relationships. And I really struggle, especially, you know, because people my age are immature. I really struggle with their perspective of what beauty is because yeah. that is just some, one thing that just kind of almost, it just annoys me really because I just, I, they are, vision and version of beauty is that airbrush standard is that mm-hmm. unattainable thing whereas Instagram. to me it's a whole different thing a whole different thing and so I've really struggled with being able almost being able to just feel seen because mm-hmm. people just don't have the same idea of beauty as I do also from something else How did we get here? With Claudia Winkleman and Professor Tanya Byron. In these in-depth one-on-one therapy sessions, we dig deep into personal stories with fascinating and emotional revelations. A passionate, insightful, and moving experience with clear outcomes to each episode. He is as anxious about attachment with you as you are with him. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. That's crazy, isn't it? Oh, that's a weird feeling. Wait, so... Oh, God. Don't you just feel like, whoa, why didn't I know that all along? Listen now in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all good podcast apps. Do you ever wonder how celebrities order food? Like, is Sarah Paulson a Diet Coke or a regular Coke girlie? (laughs) Some peasant Coke? No. Or how does Sofia Vergara order a pizza? No, not, no tomatoes. I cannot eat tomatoes. tomatoes? Yes. Are you killed mushrooms? Not really. Okay. <laughs> if these are the details you need, and I know you do, I have the podcast for you. I'm Jesse Tyler Ferguson, and on my podcast, Dinners on Me, I take some notable friends of mine out to dinners in Los Angeles and New York City. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. That thing was delicious. I wanted to talk to you a little bit about therapy because from what I see of what you do online, I feel like you rely on lots of natural therapies in yeah. terms of you sing. I mean, you sing very well. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> we should talk about this particular most viewed video on YouTube is Billie Eilish. I'm going to show you Eilish, don't Billie worry. Eilish. Billie, I was going to say Eilish. <laughs> um, so you did a uh, Billie Eilish, Eilish <laughs> cover. Eilish, and Eilish, it, same thing. <laughs> <laughs> it reached 24 million views and counting. Um, so hello singing career like that's quite a lot of views the thing is I absolutely love singing but then when I post covers are almost like and just singing is almost like the most vulnerable part of me because singing is was like one of the first things that I turned to when I was first diagnosed because I was such an active child I had to give up all of my activities you know I did Girl Scouts. I did. I was on the boys' football team at primary school. I did ballet. I literally did everything. I did street dance, cheerleading, everything you could think of, swimming, um, trampolining, gymnastics. I did everything. Um, I was just kind of like to my mum and dad, sign me up for this, sign me up for this. I wanted yeah. to do everything. And I had to give that all up instantly. Mm-hmm. And so singing was the first thing I turned to. And because it has such a special and vulnerable place in my heart, because I kind of remember how I found it and what it, what it became to me um 
I always struggle with posting covers and things like that because it is such like a vulnerable place to me. And I'm always like comparing my voice to other people and thinking like, oh, I shouldn't have posted this. And it goes almost back to that same thing of looks as well. You know, you compare Mm -hmm. the way, Mm -hmm. you know, I would compare the way that I was singing. And so I, I, although like I have written songs and I think actually songwriting became a bit of my therapy with getting my thoughts out, especially Mm -hmm. a couple of years ago when I went through like a really, really hard time um, medical wise. It, and I didn't really know how to express myself. And I'm actually quite good at being able to kind of talk about how I feel and, and understanding how I feel. But I was going through such a confusing time that I didn't even know what I was going through. And so me writing it down became my therapy and my way of getting all the jumbled up words and thoughts in my head out and it just formed a song and so since then I you know whenever I'm struggling it's almost like my diary you can for people listening Ah! haven't heard you you can sit you can actually sing thank you I think that's why I like doing it in videos because I'm singing to a camera in my room alone so it's like this this object is going to judge me I can retake it as many times as I want and so I think that's why I feel like that's okay for me to do with just about what I can do but I feel like even singing like in front of my mum and dad, I'm like, huh, no. Has has Billy heard the cover, do you think? Oh my goodness. So I posted the cover, um, I posted it about a year and a half ago or so. And I posted like a shorter version on Instagram and she yeah. liked it. And everyone oh was commenting. Okay. Like Billy, if I could meet one person in the world, it would be Billie Eilish. I think my life yeah. would be complete if I met Billie Eilish. And um, people were commenting like, oh my gosh, she's liked it. And I was like, who's liked it? What, what do you mean? And because that was nothing that I ever thought would happen. She would like yeah, it. So I was like, pretty cool. who, who liked it? And then they said, Billy. And I was like, no. So then I was like scrolling through all the people that liked it, just trying to search for her name. There for hours. Literally. <laughs> and then she had liked it. And like, I screenshot it in- instantly because I was like, this this can't be real. She's actually seen my cover. Yeah, acknowledged it. Exactly. That's amazing. And that that's so and cool. that spurred me on for sure. Yeah, Just that she, those little moments. Yeah, yeah. recognize yeah. me. Yeah. So following your success on Bake Off, which I guess was that another therapy is cooking something you do to is it cathartic for you? Definitely. Um, cooking was up there with my like second passion that I found. I always mm-hmm. loved to bake and cook. Um, my mum always baked and um you know I'm living like my family's uh often like cooking and baking and I've always been in that environment so it was kind of just like a second nature to me but when I got diagnosed you know I, when my mum would bake I would just sit on the counter and just wait for her to be finished so I could lick the bowl I wouldn't really play a Feed part <laughs> exactly um but when I got diagnosed I kind of started baking more and then the more I baked, the more I just did it myself. So at the beginning, my mum would help me. She'd help me weigh out the ingredients, mix stuff together. But then the next time I'd be doing that. And it slowly mm-hmm. just became something that I would do by myself where I could zone out and just focus on the recipe. And so baking became my thing where, you know, yeah, sure. Like I could just sit there and just, you know, really, really focus on my headache. It became my thing mm-hmm. where I was like, I know you're in pain, Nikki, but actually you getting up and you doing a bit of baking and zoning out and trying to find mm-hmm. a distraction for what you're going through. Actually, it made the pain. So, it, I barely felt the pain when I was baking because I loved what I was doing so much. 
But this is what sets you apart from the rest, right? That exact sentence. Most people would draw the curtains and quite rightly so be depressed and not even consider having a microwave lunch, let alone yeah. baking from scratch. And there's something in you that is so unique of this will to carry on when the shit hits the fan, yeah. you plough through it. And I don't know where that comes from. Where do, is You're so determined. Where does that come from? <sighs> I don't know. I think that there is absolutely nothing wrong with like, you know, when you're faced with something like that to literally just be like, do you know what? I'm literally going to do nothing, sit in bed and just like feel sorry for myself because there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. But I think the way I saw it is that you can either, with whatever cards you're dealt with, you know, there's always going to be someone with a, in a worse situation than you are. And so I've mm. always felt like I... Not that there's anything wrong with feeling sorry for yourself because you need those days when you're just having a really crappy time. Mm. You know, I have days where I'm, I just feel rubbish and I'm like, you know, really down and depressed and just not myself. And I will just lie in bed all day. And you mm. need those days to be able to have the days where you get up and do stuff. I think if you just, I think at the beginning, it was just me trying to like plow through and just keep going and pushing and pushing and persevering. But that's unattainable. You can't do that. You know, we're all humans. We all have bad days. We're not happy a hundred percent of the time. And so I think when I realized that and I let myself have those bad days, it meant that I was able to have those good days and pick back up. And that's what I learned is I think it's so important mm -hmm. to even see your little goals or milestones as big things. You know, there is no little things. Each thing is a big thing. Yeah, I, it's such great advice. And I can see you've created such strong identity, you know, talking about getting dressed where you don't want to, you know, you upload fashion posts, you upload yeah. um, makeup tutorials and stuff like that. And you have a strong identity and you have a strong brand, um, which I guess is why you you have built such great resilience in the face of adversity. Um, you're the only 16-year-old that has the right to write a memoir. Any, anyone else, <laughs> you'd, be, you'd be like, well, what are you going to write? Yeah, what have <laughs> you been through? <laughs> but, I mean, you've got a more interesting memoir than most sort of 50-year-olds, I would imagine. Um, it's called Come On Life. Yes. Um, is, it, is it out yet or it's due to So it's out? coming out on the 1st of October. And yeah, it's basically about, so it's kind of, yeah, so it's like autobiography, a memoir, but it's also like a teenage advice book. So it's about everything that I've experienced from being, you know, six years old, or even before that, from the little that I can remember, to everything I've experienced since. And it's all about how, you know, I'm not an average teenager. I haven't grown up in the average way. I look different, but I... Also, I'm an average teenager. I do worry about mm. the same things. You know, I worry about looks. I worry about crushes. I worry about schoolwork. I worry about all the same things that a normal teenager or kid does. And so I think mm -hmm. it's all about my two different worlds. And um, when I became a teenager and started growing up, I really, really, really struggled because I had um, the barrier of having a visible difference. And so I wish I could have had um, a book where it kind of just made me feel less alone in just how I was feeling with growing up. Mm. But I also talk about crushes and, um, you know, making friends. So I speak about all these experiences in the book and what I've gone through and what I've learned and what's helped me. So it's not kind of like um, advice when you've not even been through things, which I think sometimes, mm -hmm. you know, you can get these books with like empty advice because it's like, well, have you tried this, you know? So pointless. Exactly. Have yeah. you been through this? Yeah. How can you say no lived experience? Exactly. At all? How can yeah. you say this works? Or how can you, 
know if you've never been in that situation or had that point of view. And so this book is all about that. You know, it's all about everything that I've gone through and where I am Mm. now, but all the advice and bits that I've learned along the way that have led me up to where I am now that I hope that people can kind of read the book um, and then learn and um, hopefully it will just help them in certain situations. Absolutely. Well, it's called Come On Life, guys. And when when it's out, I will put a post up and a link on my Instagram as well so you can find it there. Um, I can't let you go without asking you about lockdown. I know it feels yeah. like that's all everyone <laughs> talks about. Um, but you had to do GCSEs in lockdown. I mean, that's full So on, it was it? so strange because... So I had an operation in March and it mm-hmm. was just as lockdown was kind of starting to pick up and it was back when everyone was panicking about buying toilet roll and that was so <laughs> strange. Um, so on the day that I was discharged from hospital, they actually cancelled GCSEs. So oh. I never ended up actually taking my GCSEs um, and it was the same for people that did their A-levels. So we mm-hmm. ended up just getting our predict- predicted grades, but it was really tricky for us because... It was um, not just our, it wasn't really our teachers choosing our projected grades. It was our teachers along with our exam boards and exam Mm -hmm. boards were lowering our grades a lot. Mm -hmm. And so um, that was a struggle, especially because it was kind of like a bittersweet feeling finding out that I wasn't going to do them and also getting my results because Mm -hmm. it's like, you can't be proud of yourself because you never even took them, you know? So it's a really strange feeling. So because you don't know what you could have gotten if you did, um, yeah, and I, but it is based on your those predicted yeah. ones are that your teachers have got to know you and know your capability. Yeah, and I think um, you know I I did try so so hard when I was um, revising. I would literally be sitting in my I was in hospital for like four weeks uh, last year because I had a really bad um, infection and my I was literally I had mocks coming up and I sat in my hospital bed um got my table and was literally just writing notes um for revision and so that's where I kind of think like that is really annoying because it's like all that work you know it's like all of but that you're an stuff. example of you got to do what you've got to do. Yeah. And look, when the going gets tough, you just carry exactly. on. Exactly. So that was hard. But in terms of lockdown in general, it wasn't too bad for me. I think the change from like, um, you know, being able to go out and then just being stuck at home wasn't too much of a change because I've always been lived like that. I'm either stuck at home or stuck mm. in hospital, you know, or stuck in my room. So I'm just used to that having to stay inside and having to kind of be alone and not be able to see people because that's been my whole life. Um, mm-hmm. My whole life's kind of been like a lockdown for me having to stay inside. And so it's not in that sense, it wasn't too hard. Like a lot of my friends were really struggling with staying at home more because they couldn't see their friends and couldn't go out. Whereas for me, I was you're just, just you're just at home laughing. Like I'm like, to my yeah, wait, welcome to the club. <laughs> this is my life, twenty four seven. People were joking there about YouTubers and live being like, all, all YouTubers are like, I've never made so much content. No, literally, like, this is a like YouTubers them, life. Like, for them, they were thriving because it's like they had so much more time to just be at home and um, yeah. you know their plans got cancelled and stuff. So they were just able to just push out so much content, and it was like that for me as well. I did struggle with. Um, I think there were some times where I kind of struggled with like mental health because I think because you are at home so much, you're left with your thoughts, you know? Whereas I think when you have stuff to do and when you're able to go out, they're almost like distractions for you um, because you're distracting yourself from like, you know, your like negative thoughts and things you're thinking. Whereas I think when you're left with your thoughts, I think a lot of people struggled mentally um, within like lockdown and stuff. 
Um, mm. But again, I think the fact that I did have the things like makeup and baking and singing and all of those things that I'd found before to go back on, it helped me yeah. a lot um, because I'd skills. almost been through it before. And so I knew yeah. what to do in a certain extent. Yeah. yeah. You're 16 years old and we can learn so much from you. Oh, thank um, you. And I feel like just on the, you know, I, I felt like I knew you sort of, but just today I've learned even more from you. Aww. And I'm so glad that you keep sharing on telly, in books, uh, through YouTube. And please never, ever stop sharing because you're so important to the world. Oh, thank you so much. I've, I've loved your podcast for the longest time and you've always been such an inspiration to me because especially when I interviewed you, um, it was two years ago and I was going through a really, really hard time, especially health-wise. And um, a few days later, I was like in hospital for weeks. And you've always been an inspiration to me because at that point, I hadn't really done much um, still with like, you know, spreading my message and things like that. And I interview so many amazing people, but I've never really been able to feel like I could connect with one or could, uh, you know, fully understand um what mm -hmm. they're going through or what they're talking about because everyone's different but I think the fact that I was speaking to someone who I look up to and who also has a visible difference and who has also been able to do so much um with um you know the cars that they've been dealt with is so so amazing to me and so thank you for having me on and oh it's feeling is mutual no, I'm so I'm so glad that we've become friends as well I yeah. really love our friendship and appreciate it we should do more stuff together stuff that we're passionate about no, definitely together, and I think you know? we're both passionate about a lot of the similar same things as well yeah just never make me sing because it just won't work out <laughs> what about if you play uh, the tambourine or something in the background I could do recorder I could do like come by R that's all yeah, I remember okay. or school. you could play yeah. like one key on the piano or something yeah. oh, listen just like the title suggests you have been absolutely extraordinary so thank you so thank much thank you so Sticky much Lily. Thanks for listening to Casey Piper's Extraordinary People. If you haven't already, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. If you enjoyed this, please help us spread the word. Rate and review the show where you got this or share on socials. <laughs>